the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good morning. Happy Saturday, one and all. Jimmy Sangenberger back with you at News Talk 710-KNUS. Thanks so much for being a part of the program as Leroy and I return. Now it's dark and early. We left last night. After I filled in for Stefan Tubbs, and it was dark. And then we get here, and it's dark again. Are we living in a world of darkness? That's what it feels like. But alas, we try our best to bring you the light of the right here on the Jimmy Sengenberger Show. News Talk 710 KNUS. Good to be with you as always with much to discuss, much to happen, and we're excited to have you along for the ride. Of course, if you want to join into the festivities, 303-696-1971 is our telephone number to do just that. You can also text into the show on the 710KNUS app on your smartphone. You can tweet at me, 24-7-365, at Sang Center, Sang with an E, not an A, Center on Twitter. And, of course, a couple ways to email yours truly directly. One is 710knus.com. Go to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show page, and you can shoot me an email from there. Or you can log on to my website, jimmysangenberger.com, and go to the contact page. There on the site as well, you can access the podcast for the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Make that easy there. And you can um, read all of my recent columns as well, plus will be putting up should be ready to go next weekend on the website access to the best damn bumper music known to man i get requests what are the songs that you have on the show well especially now with bluesified christmas bumper season beginning now you gotta have that list so we're making that happen I think it'll be up at jimmysangenberger.com next weekend. Of course, there's no A, I, or U in Sangenberger. It's all E's all the time. Once you know that, Sangenberger is easy. We've got several things we'll be doing today, including, again, your calls at 303-696-1971. Uh, Yesterday evening, when I was filling in for Stefan, we had a really great and informative conversation with my good friend Jeff Crump, who's been a fixture on my show, especially when it was Saturday nights, over the years that I've been on the air. A segment called Music with Crump. Jeff Crump was in the music business for decades in pretty much any capacity you can think of from the business side. So not production, not doing the performing. He was not a musician. 
but he was a tour manager for Run DMC, Public Enemy, Aerosmith, five years for Aerosmith, tour managed Neil Young, the list goes on, the list goes on and on and on for acts that he promoted. As a promoter, he worked for Barry Fay for a decade, and he ran, helped run venues including Red Rocks in the Denver area. And was a VP at Live Nation. But he was a very informative discussion in a lot of different aspects from the music business side, which I love the music industry. It's just so fascinating to me. And, of course, I'm a big lover of music. But also, more specifically from what's going on in terms of the Taylor Swift Ticketmaster controversy, especially because Congress now is about to embark on holding at least one hearing, probably before the end of the year, on the debacle with Ticketmaster from last week. In particular, Senator Amy Klobuchar had a lot to say about that, and we uh, asked Jeff Crump about her comments and thoughts. So first up, what I want to do is, in the next segment, replay my interview with Jeff, because I think there was so much there. We'll take an early break here in a couple minutes. So much there that was fascinating and informative. We'll get Jeff Crump's thoughts on all of that coming up in just a bit. Worth listening to again if you heard it yesterday, I think. And then we will open up the phones at 303-696-1971. Also at the top of the next hour, Rick Newman will join me. He is senior columnist at Yahoo Finance. We'll get his take on the battle, such as it is, between Twitter and Truth Social. Does Truth Social have potential to square up against Twitter? Should I put it this way? Does Donald Trump's Truth Social have the potential to square up against Elon Musk's Twitter? We'll talk about that, plus the student loan hang-up that Biden is having to deal with, thank goodness, with Rick Newman in the next hour. And then the third hour, this will be fascinating. Eight o'clock. That hour, I'll be joined by Julie Bonuelos. She is a former teacher. She was recently a finalist for the Denver Public Schools Board of Education when there was a vacancy up a few months back. And she is what she describes as an outsider left. That is to say, she is on the left. She's going to come in studio, and we shall talk about parents' rights in education and more. Have a little bit of a meeting of the minds. That will be a conversation you won't want to miss. I'm looking forward to discussing this, especially when I have a column set to come out tomorrow in the Denver Gazette on parents' rights in education. So we've got Jeff Crump, Rick Newman, Julie Bonuelos, and... Your calls at 303-696-1971 coming up. Plus, I am finally excited. I'm excited, rather, to finally bring out the Bluesified Christmas Bumpers. We played a little bit last night when I filled in for Stefan, but we got all blues today. We'll throw in some classics in the coming weeks, of course, through Christmas Eve. But the best damn Christmas bumper music known to man begins here in just a few minutes. And I am looking forward to 
getting to hear and groove. I could see Leroy's just smiling. He's just absolutely beaming back behind the glass. So without further ado, let's run to our first break. And when we come back, we'll get in the conversation with Jeff Krupp and then open up the phones and get things rolling. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. You're listening to The Jimmy Sangenberger Show right here on News Talk 710 KNUS, Denver's local talk leader. Folks, can you believe that we are now less than a month away from Christmas? I do hope it is a white Christmas, just as Eric Clapton sings his take on the great Christmas classic. This is from his 2018 album, Happy Xmas, which is a great album, as you would expect. I mean, it is Clapton, after all. And what a great take, too, on White Christmas as we kick off the best damn bumper music you'll ever find anywhere known to man during the Christmas season and, of course, outside the Christmas season as well. Merry Christmas, early Christmas, one and all. As we continue on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, News Talk 710-KNUS. I had such a great conversation yesterday with my friend Jeff Crump, longtime music industry veteran on not just the Ticketmaster story, but really how some aspects of the music business work in general. He, of course, has been a fixture on the show for segments we've called over the years Music with Crump. It's a little different take on Music with Crump. We had him on yesterday in the Stephen Tubbs show, but I wanted to replay it because it's fun. It's a holiday week, a little bit of a lighter flair. It's interesting, informative, and it's Jeff Crump. So let's roll the interview as we continue on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Someone who has worked with Eric Clapton in the past, along with so many other musicians, in all different capacities of the music business is my good friend Jeff Crump, who lives right here in Denver, Colorado. And he joins me now to talk about this craziness known as Ticketmaster. Happy belated Thanksgiving, my friend, and welcome. Thank you, Jimmy. Same to you and uh, everybody at Salem. Appreciate it. And I, I do have to just note for our listeners, longtime listeners to my show will know Jeff Crump as the Crump in a feature we've consistently called over the years, Music with Crump. And it's good to have you. So I want to just start by filling folks in who may not be familiar with you, Jeff, as to the extensive background you have for many decades in the music business. I think you've done all the different things there is to do outside of performing. Um, I didn't do production, but that, that that's right. a whole other key to it. Sure. But I started uh, at the University of Colorado in the program council and st- was one of the first students up there to do um, concerts and stuff. So um, I know one of the first concerts I actually did as a promoter, venue operator, whatever, up there was Neil Young, and we had um, – Counterfeit tickets got in, and so kids that had legitimate tickets couldn't get in. Counterfeit tickets got in. The fire department came and turned fire hoses on the kids. My first encounter with Barry Faye, and he looks at me and he goes, 
I don't know what they feed you guys in Boulder that has you so effed up. And that was my first conversation with Barry Faye. Um, later on, years later, I both worked for Barry Faye for 10 years, and I also tour managed Neil Young. Um, so it's kind of a big circle there. <laughs> yeah, that, that is great. You were with Faye for about 10 years, right? And, right, right. And what was your role when you were there for the promotion company? I was a promoter. There was Barry, Chuck Morris, Carol Walden, and I were the promoters. Um, Carol and I did everything outside of Colorado. There were sometimes where we would work on some of the stadium shows here, but all of my stuff was national tours with Parliament Funkadelic and Bootsy's Rubber Band or Stevie Nicks. We did a lot of Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings dates all over the country. So um, I, I might go from Hawaii to Jamaica in, in the course of a year working on shows and booking the venue, booking the talent, ordering the tickets, buying the advertising, monitoring ticket sales, and being on the day's show to pay all the bills, including the band. Now, a lot of this will come up in a moment when we talk about Ticketmaster, but before we get to that, after you worked for Barry Fay, you were tour manager for various musicians and acts. You talked about Neil Young. You tour managed Aerosmith for five years. You managed uh, Run DMC and Public Enemy. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that aspect of your work. Well, I, um, as you know, there's three um, legs to the stool that holds up the concert and makes makes it all operate. There's obviously the talent, and I represented talent um, as they're either tour accountant or tour manager, hiring and firing the road crews and sound and light companies and dealing with the promoters all over the world. Then there's the promoter that takes the risk um, and makes a little bit of money if it's successful and loses a lot of money if it's not. Um, and then there's the venue, the building. And then any of those times, uh, as far as a ticket contract, the artists usually don't have a direct connection um, with a ticket company because it's usually a promoter or the venue that does. So, But all three of those have to come together to work to make a concert or a tour happen. And so when you were in the tour manager, that meant that you were responsible for all the books, the different aspects of the, of the act themselves, and having to work with the the promoter and the venue, which really puts you heavily involved in what actually ends up happening with a company like a Ticketmaster, right? Right. The day of the show is when all the bills pretty much get paid, and you have all the ticket revenues that have come in by a ticket company. Um, Denver's a little unique in that, like Red Rocks, where I also was one part of the management team at Red Rocks for several years, um, they don't have a, a contract with Ticketmaster or anybody else. The promoter is free to work with whatever ticket company they want to. Um, so there was, I mean, Nirvana at one point, um, no, it wasn't Nirvana, I forget who it was, but one of the grunge bands from San Francisco or Seattle didn't want to play a building that had Ticketmaster, and so Red Rocks was one of four shows they played that year. Hmm. And, and, Eddie, Eddie Better ended up spending the night in, in the dressing room at Red Rocks and caught a cold because it's so damp and cool in there. <laughs> so, and you, by the way, you ran uh, Red Rocks in other Denver venues over several years, right? Well, I'm not me personally, but I, mean, I was involved, but there was a team of people. But, yeah, I was the marketing director for Denver Theaters and Arenas and oversaw the contracts and um, sometimes worked directly with the bands, definitely worked with some of the promoters. Um, and this is also after I'd worked for Barry. I've spent 10 years with Barry. So it's, 
Amazing. I've done all three of the, of the stools of a, a, you know, the legs of a stool that holds up doing a concert. And something else that you did, and then we'll get to the topic at hand again. We're talking with longtime music industry veteran Jeff Crump. Is you were a vice president for Live Nation for several years, particularly overseeing something called Instant Live, right? Correct. I, um, this we would take a recording engineer and equipment on the road and record multi-track record the live concert um, and be able to burn CDs so that people attending the concert could, 10 minutes after the show is over, they could pick up uh, a CD, often three or four CD set um, of the concert they just saw. And, uh, of course, one of the bands that you worked with the most for that was the best band in history, the Allman Brothers Band. We found that doing jam bands was much more um, beneficial than doing a band that played the exact same set every night, note for note. That, that you could put out one concert and sell them at every show, and it'd be the same, down to the second. But bands that are more spontaneous, bands like Fish, Almond Brothers, uh, Phil Lesh was the bass player for Grateful Dead. We worked with him. Um, you never know quite what they're going to do as far as what material they're going to do or what solos they're going to do. So uh, every show's different. So there were definitely Almond Brothers fans that mm -hmm. wanted every concert, recurring of every concert they did on a tour. And, and so what, hundreds of Almond Brothers concerts you were involved with? Probably more than that. <laughs> I'm so I just, every time I talk to you, especially about the Almond Brothers, I'm so jealous. You knew Greg, you knew them all. You knew Stevie Ray Vaughan. I mean, we could go on and on in that direction. But with that very fun context built up with you, Jeff Crump, we find ourselves now talking about the music industry as it is today, and specifically the biggest name, arguably, in music today, Taylor Swift, who just not this week, but last week, had a big issue come up when Ticketmaster was getting their sales going for her big tour, where she added 25 more shows. I think they're looking at, I think it's 52 at this point, 2.4 million tickets. I mean, my mind is blowing at that number as at least being possible for tickets sold. And this was now last Thursday of last week. Uh, then we now have Congress getting involved in, in, in all this because of the Ticketmaster flub. What's going on here as you look at it? Well, it's definitely overwhelmed the system. Um, and one thing to know about hard tickets versus computer tickets, when there's hard tickets, somebody has to take them around and put them in the record stores or your retailers that are going to be selling the tickets. Computer ones, it's all online, and it's open to anybody in the United States. So just because you're in Denver, you could still go online to find a way to buy a ticket for the Boston show. It, it, so it is complicated, and it was overwhelming that um, that many tickets went on sale at the same time. And between the true fans that wanted the tickets and the ticket brokers, or I call them scalpers, um, a Taylor Swift ticket would be marked up quite a bit by the scalper who contributes nothing to the event. Um, and there's, they don't add anything to the value of the ticket. They just make a profit because there's a bottleneck and they can get their hands on the tickets where uh, oftentimes the, com the consumer can't. So you find out these shows are sold out within two minutes and you've been on hold, you know, a ticket master for an hour and you're not going to get a ticket. So that's, that's number one, irritating to the fan that doesn't get a ticket, but then you can find them listed online for three times the face value. And that's bothered 
So the artist is in a tough spot because they want their tickets to be affordable for the fan. But if a scalper buys them and then turns around and sells them for a couple hundred bucks, it defeats the purpose and the artist isn't getting the money. And the fan doesn't have that much money, or some do, but um, uh, so so it is a complicated situation. And Eagles looked at it um, and said, "Hey, if our tickets are worth 150 or 200 bucks, heck with the scalpers, we'll charge 200 bucks. At least it's us making the money." But then the Eagles audience is a lot different than a Taylor Swift audience. The genre of music is different. The age is different. The gender leans obviously way much more heavily towards females in the Taylor Swift fans than uh, the Eagles fans. Well, I, I would say, though, I mean, like my, I was talking to my sister. She and a group of friends were able to get tickets off a of Ticketmaster, and it involved a lot of waiting, of course, and her ticket was uh, more than 200 bucks. From Ticketmaster. I mean, it's so Taylor Swift isn't charging, if you're getting decent seats, is certainly charging a, a good amount still. But when we look at the scalping issue, Jeff, how has that really changed over time? It seems like it's got to be worse since we have all these Internet-based electronic tickets, worse than when, say, you were involved in tour managing or promotion. Yeah, funny thing, Ticketmaster's first show in Los Angeles I promoted it. was the US Festival in 1983. Wow. And Ticketmaster didn't have the computer set up to do computerized tickets. So their first show in L.A. was hard tickets. Mm. It was kind of ironic since they're, you know, they really pioneered the, um, uh, before Ticketmaster, there was Ticketron and there was lost inventory of blank tickets. So they were really kind of a sloppily run uh, ticket company. So it's always whoever controls the tickets you know, controls the money. That's where all the revenues come from to pay the band. Now, with Taylor Swift, she's different than a lot of artists. She's taken almost everything in-house. There's only one promoter, and his name's Louis Messina. He used to be the head of Pace Concerts in Houston. And he and his son, great guy, he and his son promote all of the Taylor Swift shows. So she only has to deal with one promoter rather than a different promoter every show. Um, so it's, you know, so that's, there's one promoter, there's one ad agency that does all of her advertising, there's one merchandise company, um, and she likes bringing it all in-house, which is different than most artists. So that, then when we get into a situation like this now, I mean, okay, so Taylor Swift has consolidated who she's working with and so forth from a promotion standpoint, and then you got the Ticketmaster mess. I mean, is it worse today than it was in terms of scalping back in the day? Yes. For one thing, tickets back in the day, when I started promoting shows, they were six or eight bucks. And you'd go to your local record store, give them a stack of 100 or 200 tickets to sell, and on the day of the show, you had runners that would go around and pick up all the money in the tickets in the cigar box, and you'd come back and you'd pay all the bills, and if there was cash left at the bottom of the cigar box, you made money. If there wasn't, you lost money. I and mean, that's about how primitive it was in the late 60s and early 70s. So, yes, it's a lot more sophisticated. It's a lot more complicated. Um you know, and it's, and it's, I don't, I don't blame anybody at Ticketmaster for the over, um, for the way it was overwhelmed. They thought they had a capacity big enough to handle it, and their system didn't. Their system crashed. So, 
what we have here now is not just Taylor Swift fans who are all upset over what happened, and understandably so. Taylor Swift did take about a day before she finally put out a statement and, you know, wasn't fully satisfying to fans, but at least she said something. She talked about how excruciating it was to see her fans go through this. Excruciating was the word. Now, Live Nation and Ticketmaster merged in 2010 and and Ticketmaster became a subsidiary of Live Nation. And so now you have, and this is from a week ago, and it's gotten more um, pronounced, but this clip that I'm going to play is from a week ago of Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota talking about Congress getting involved. In 2010, Live Nation and Ticketmaster were allowed to merge. They, mm-hmm. The combined company now has 70% of ticket sales. So in truth, there's no other choice. And that's what's going on. There is a monopoly. They also have quickly and quietly bought so many venues and arenas so it is a vertical integration that's why we are pushing the justice department to look at this and to look back at that consent decree of which they have power over that consent decree i talked to senator mike lee last night we chair the committee on antitrust we are going to go ahead with a hearing on ticketmaster um, this year as of tuesday or wednesday that was confirmed they're setting it up and figuring when they're going to put it together jeff crump from your experiences we've laid it out uh, what is your take on the idea of a the united states senate looking into this with a committee hearing and antitrust and b live uh, or rather the department of justice looking into this as a tra- uh, antitrust issue i think The federal government has a lot of things on their plate, and managing the ticketing, private industry of ticketing, is not their expertise, and they got enough to do without meddling in that. I I think Amy Klobuchar, I like Mike Lee, I know Mike Lee, um, probably one of the best constitutional scholars we've got, but the Senate doesn't know anything about selling tickets. What do they think they're going to do? They're going to get Live Nation to sell off Ticketmaster? Okay, then what? I mean, what changes? The Ticketmaster, before it was owned by Live Nation, was owned by several different individuals. It was started by um, Fred Rosen, who spun it off. It was publicly traded for a while. Um, Irving Azoff, the manager of the Eagles, bought Ticketmaster. He's the one that ultimately sold it to. He was on the board of directors of Live Nation. So it's a complicated thing. I don't think the Senate, just to pat themselves on the back, they got enough on their plate that they're, they need to be doing their own job without um, getting involved, you know, in this. What about the Department opinion. of Justice? Well, I think they have their hands full as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. They, they certainly do. Is it a role of government issue for you, Jeff, that this is just not something they should be butting into? Well, let me flip the question to you, Jimmy. What industry has the government gotten in? involved with that they've improved none whatsoever <laughs> maybe the military <laughs> but that's, but yeah, no. not, when, yeah when the government gets involved it becomes more corrupt becomes more bogged down and becomes more expensive yeah. so i don't know what the senators think they're going to accomplish but i assure you oh. it's not going to be what they're claiming they're going to get headlines they're going to get on tv they're going to get the notoriety that's what's going to happen from this jeff crump Taylor Swift fans aren't going to care about 
But their parents might be like, oh, hey, we're glad you're doing. No, I agree with you. This is pointless, but it is. They're going to make it more expensive. They're going to make it more complicated, and it's going to be sluggish. The concert ticket sales and and doing a concert, setting it up, tearing it down, moving to another city the next day, it's a very precision 24-hour-a-day operation. It's not something the government does well with. I think that's so well put. And your expertise is very appreciated this evening, Jeff Crump. You've broke things down from a perspective nobody else can provide, having done all of those legs of the stool in the music business that you were talking about. And I uh, appreciate you joining us today. We will do something coming up uh, later this year. We always have our year in review of famous musicians and others that we've lost. I look forward to that conversation uh, as well. Merry Christmas to you, my friend. Merry Christmas to you too. And let me just let me just throw something out there. There's a lot of people in that industry that have done parts of what I've done. I'm not the Absolutely. only person out there, so I don't want to take any credit away from anybody listening who's involved in that business. It's a tough business, um, but there are a lot of people that make it work. So you are the only one I know who's invented <laughs> all the capacity <laughs> who I could get on the air. Jeff Crump, we got to run, brother. Merry right, Christmas. Thank, Thank you. you. What a fascinating conversation. I just really enjoyed. That's the word of the day for today's show. I've already decided. Fascinating. I found that very enlightening as far as how the music industry works and how you can look at the Ticketmaster situation through the political lens and ask the question. This is the right question. Jeff posed it. What industry has the government gotten involved with that they've improved? Do you have an answer to that question? Or is the answer none? 303-696-1971 is our telephone number. Should Congress waste the time looking at Ticketmaster because it is a purported monopoly And they got a lot of people upset over the Taylor Swift stuff a week ago. Or do they have better things to do? I certainly am of the mind that they have better things to do. Far more important things to be focused on. But you know what? Maybe there is something to be said that if this is just for show and Congress doesn't end up doing anything... Maybe more showmanship on the dais in Congress will prevent additional harm coming from Congress in terms of actual legislation that they pass. Ah, who am I kidding? They're going to do the bad stuff no matter what. Make no mistake about it. No matter what, they're going to do the bad stuff. So, yeah, they shouldn't do this. This isn't the role of government. That's my view. What's yours? 303-696-1971. You are listening to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. We will take a break here on the program. And when we come back, we'll pick up the conversation on the other side. Feel free to text in on the 710-KNUS app on your smartphone as well. Don't go anywhere. Once again, it is the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Grooving back, little Alabama Red, doing Going Home for Christmas with some real nice harmonica playing on your source for bluesified Christmas bumper music. 
The Jimmy Sangenberger Show, News Talk 710 KNUS, every Saturday morning from 6 to 9. One of the downsides of listening to the podcast after the fact is the lawyers strip away the bumper music. So you got to listen live. Get up nice and early, get that coffee brewing. And be a part of the program. Call in as well, 303-696-1971. That is our telephone number. Good to be with you today, as always. So in the last segment, we had our conversation with Jeff Crump, longtime music industry veteran, about the Ticketmaster fiasco. And, of course, Amy Klobuchar, senator from Minnesota, saying this. In 2010, Live Nation and Ticketmaster were allowed to merge. They, mm-hmm. The combined company now has 70% of ticket sales. So, in truth, there's no other choice. And that's what's going on. There is a monopoly. They also have quickly and quietly bought so many venues and arenas, so it is a vertical integration. That's why we are pushing the Justice Department to look at this and to look back at that consent decree of which they have power over that consent decree. I talked to Senator Mike Lee last night. We chair the committee on antitrust. We are going to go ahead with a hearing on Ticketmaster um, this year. Jeff Crump posed a very important question. What industry has the government gotten involved with that they've improved? And I couldn't find any answer to that question because I don't think that there is an answer to that question. But he made a very important point on this issue as well, specifically to Ticketmaster, that the reality is there's nothing that really can change if they were to suddenly say we are going to split Live Nation and Ticketmaster. There's nothing that would really change particularly to address the ticketing situation. And given his wealth of background, I think it's it, it, what he says provides a lot of weight that we can take into consideration. So I think and I continue to be of the mind that this is a fool's errand. Congress will do it. They'll make some splashy headlines. And then probably it'll go away, but who knows? Maybe they'll decide to step things up for some reason. I don't know. But never underestimate the capacity of a politician to do things for attention. Right or left, they love getting their attention. Once again, you're listening to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Here's something interesting from the Daily Mail. San Francisco Police Department asks to use killer robots. Cops want to equip their 12 bomb disposal bots with live ammunition. After Dallas, the Dallas force used one to kill an active shooter. The new policy proposal will be debated next week by the San Francisco Board of Supervisors Rules Committee. The board will define how the SFPD is allowed to use its military-style weapons. 
Already, the draft policy has been scrutinized by supervisors Aaron Peskin, Raphael Mandelman, and Connie Chan, who make up the committee. The policy states that they will use robots as a deadly forced option, quote, when risk of loss of life to members of the public or officers are imminent. In 2016, the Dallas police force strapped plastic explosives to a robot and used it to blow up a shooter who had killed five officers, the first instance in U.S. history. Now, on the one hand, this kind of gets you a little bit more into that Terminator territory, right? Just a little bit more concerned about what might happen if the machines suddenly decide to revolt. Right? If the machines decide to revolt, the robots, and turn their weapons on humans, what happens? But is that a dystopian scenario? If it's controlled, if it's focused, if it's limited, if they only have a few units and they put them to work in particular circumstances? Or is it worth doing because of those reasons? Is it too risky? I I have to say, I am a little antsy about the idea of a bunch of robots going around. I mean, I've seen Star Wars. I love Star Wars. And I know what droids are capable of when they are armed. They can do real damage. But does that mean that they aren't a tool that could make a difference? They could be. I think you really need to have a high standard of safety if you're going to try anything of that sort. We are in a sort of brave new world, technologically speaking. But is this a bridge too far? It just might be. But speaking of the Terminator, we do have this. I I could have played this earlier on in the show at the beginning. Run! Get to the radio! The Jimmy Sengenberger show is about to start! Do it now! Hurry! We like to have some fun here on the Jimmy Sengenberger show. News Talk 710 KNUS. It's top of the hour break. Real quick, because we do have the great bumper music here on the show. Yours truly also on the harmonica with the Jimmy Jr. Blues Band. We will be performing on December 30th, 7.30 p.m. at Dakota Tavern in Parker. Come on out, mark your calendars just over a month from now, December 30th at Dakota Tavern, the Jimmy Jr. Blues Band. We're going to take a break on the other side. We'll be joined by Rick Newman of Yahoo Finance. Stay with us. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.